You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There is nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it is by far the easiest way that I have found to shop for tickets because I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. Uh, I plan on using SeatGeek a little bit later in this season now that Indiana season is over and I have a little bit of extra time on my hands on weeknights and plan to get out to a Mavericks game and see Yogi play, which I haven't had a chance to do. And you can be sure that when I do that, I will be getting my tickets on SeatGeek as I did when I went and saw him play last year. Because, again, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. They save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and help you find amazing deals. And best of all, listeners of the Assembly Call get $20 off of their first SeatGeek purchase. So the way that you do that is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY. That's promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, for $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 76th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 404th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, May 17th, 2018. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every episode of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Martin takes the shot. This week's Banner Moment continues the recruiting theme from last week's Banner Moment. There's a lot of that when you get into the offseason. Uh, and last week, of course, I ran down the list of high-profile five-star players in the class of 2019 that Indiana is heavily involved with. You know the names. Trace, Keon, Trendon, Hurt, etc. Well, on Thursday afternoon, 24-7 Sports released their updated rankings, and it makes Indiana's current recruiting board look even more impressive because not only did Keon Brooks and Trace Jackson Davis maintain their five-star status, both guys actually moved up in the rankings after impressive showings so far this spring. Keon is now number nine in the class, while Trace is number 21. In addition, three of Indiana's point guard targets, who had previously been four-star players, made huge jumps in the rankings, and a couple of them earned 
their fifth stars. DJ Carton jumped 14 spots to number 23. He has Indiana in his final six, with the Hoosiers assumed to be in the top three by most accounts that I've heard. Kira Lewis, an AAU teammate of Trendon Watford's, who I love, jumped 24 spots to number 24. He has yet to cut his list, but has mentioned wanting to make a trip to Bloomington. And Jameis Ramsey, another IU guard target, is just outside five-star status and moved up six spots to number 36. In summation, Indiana projects to have three scholarships available for the 2019 class, and it's not totally unreasonable to think that they could put together a three-man class comprised of some combination of the 6th, 9th, 17th, 21st, 23rd, 24th, and 36th ranked prospects. Time will tell what this class ends up becoming, but the signs continue to be positive for Archie Miller and the Hoosiers. All right, let me now introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show to my left. He is one of the world's most respected bracketologists and the president emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your bottoms line on the last week in IU basketball? Well, I know we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but I was I was really excited to see the bastion of integrity that is Rick Pitino step out and uh, and really, really you know enforce the law on on those who have uh, wronged him and, and his memory that he somehow could never find when he was uh, in charge of a program and watched all kinds of things go, uh, you know, go go on right under his nose without uh, without being even remotely aware of it, apparently, uh, is now uh, is now policing the recruiting scene. So really glad to see he's found uh, gainful employment doing that in the. Uh, it was it was good to hear from Rick, wasn't it, guys? Yeah, I missed uh, it. Yeah, I missed it. Yeah, yeah. Well, he hadn't he hadn't called his own press conference or found some way to put himself out there in a couple of weeks. So it was it was time. Um, but I think I, you know honestly, I, the one thing about this, I'll kind of keep the IU piece of it aside. I, I think what this shows, as much as anything. Uh, in addition to reaffirming everything that you probably already thought about Rick Pitino is that, you know, when you go back to all these things the NCAA has come out with, it, it, it just underscores the fact that what they've come out with really doesn't address the ultimate issue that is at play here. And that's the, what the worth of these, uh, of these guys to the shoe companies and to all the other people that are involved with it. And, and very little of what they discussed, um, seemed to, to really grasp that that is the root of the issue and, and being able to, um, you know, actually do something for themselves to, uh, you know, take advantage of that worth, uh, in that time. That's ultimately the the problem and leads to these, uh, to these kinds of things, which in this case is not really against any rule that I am aware of. Um, but it just, you know, again, it just underscores the fact that I think that the NCAA ruling, which I don't know that we really talked about in here, it just kind of missed the mark in terms of addressing, you know, the real root cause of the issue. And uh, while this one hit a little bit close to home from an IU perspective, I think as you step back and look at it nationally, it just goes to show there's a long way to go between what the NCAA came out with and where it actually needs to get to in order to address the issues that are going to cause things like this and and who knows what else, uh, you know, may come out over the course of time and, and the kinds of things that we've already seen come out in the last year. And now, to my right, he is a man who is fairly certain he could earn a start for the Cleveland Cavaliers in their series against the Celtics, if only he was given the chance. He's a columnist for the big lead, and he is someone who recently admitted to Kent Sterling that he grew up wanting to be a race car driver. I legitimately wanted to be a race car driver. 
until he realized that doing so would mean being in a car and wearing a helmet, thus obscuring his face during competition, a fate he considered too cruel to inflict on all of his future female fans, which is why he chose hyper-niche internet broadcasting on YouTube instead. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, what is your rant this week? You spend way too much of your week on the intro and the music for me, really, <laughs> honestly. Uh, I, I got it. I mean, you know, when that windbag stuffed leathery sack of skin slithered out from its hole and, and made those comments to the Washington Post. I'm, I'm referring to Rick Pitino, by the way. Uh, he just, I mean. I mean, that was clear. But, but it, I, just making sure for the people who don't, you know, haven't seen him in person. Uh, somebody knocked on his coffin and woke him up. It, it It's. Honestly, he's just, I don't know what Patino is doing. And and I love that everybody made this point. It's like he's so aware of what was going on with the recruitment of Romeo Lankford, yet he had no idea what was going on with his own program. Um, as far as that article goes, it felt to me, and the Post is a, is a great outlet, great news outlet. They break a lot of great sports and news stories and are, and are you know, a wonder, it's a wonderful paper. Uh, but that felt to me like they thought they had a huge scoop and that they got Rick Patino talking and then wound up with nothing. And that happens in journalism sometimes. You think you got a big deal, and then it's not a big deal. And, and that's what it felt like. And, you know, the story is basically that Romeo's dad had shoe companies bidding to sponsor his AAU team, which every AAU team does, is puts their, their teams up for sponsorships. Uh, that is not... Whether you think that's shady or not, it's not illegal. That is what all those teams do. And so uh, this is such a non-story, and, and it was it was pitched as... And, and certain people like Bob Kravitz are out there saying, well, no, that makes sense why he went to Indiana. Well, it had nothing to do with Indiana. It had to do with Adidas and his dad's AAU team, which, again, is fully legal. And so I really didn't understand what the big deal was about that piece. If there's more to it, certainly it's worth investigating. Uh, but from what was reported, it just seemed like Rick Pitino trying to now be a whistleblower and, and, and try to regain his reputation, which is forever shot, in my opinion. Agreed. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that here coming up. Uh, in fact, these are the topics and some of the questions we will address this week. We will talk a little bit more about this Washington Post story uh, about Romeo Langford. If there's any reason to be concerned, clearly, as Andy and Ryan have discussed, there isn't. Uh, we will then begin our offseason player-by-player breakdown series starting with Devontae Green. That should be a fun, lively conversation. And then we will close by answering some questions. And you all send in some good ones again this week, as you always do. All of that coming here on Assembly Call Radio. I do want to take one last opportunity to talk to you about our friends at Mecham Auctions because the exciting auction event that they are hosting in Indianapolis, which we've been telling you about over the last few weeks, is now happening. What is it? Well, it's a fantastic event for any car lover and for any families who are looking for something fun to do together. Mecham Auctions is hosting their 31st original spring classic car auction at the Indiana State Fairgrounds right now through May 20th. So it started Tuesday and goes through this upcoming Sunday. What will you find at this Mecham auction? 2,000 classic and collector cars, everything from muscle cars and race cars to classics and exotics. Oh, and there will be some big-name sports tie-ins too. 
Hall of Famer Reggie Jackson, Mr. October, will be selling 18 cars from his private collection. And Meekum will also be offering the green 1967 Corvette that was gifted to Bart Starr for winning the Super Bowl I MVP award. Gates open daily at 7.30 a.m. Tickets and bidder registration is available at Meekum.com. Again, it's Meekum's 31st original spring classic car auction at the Indiana State Fairgrounds going on now through Sunday, May 20th. Go to Meekum.com for more information. Thank you. Okay, you are listening to The Assembly Call. I am Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. And guys, let's just wrap up this segment with any any more thoughts about this Washington Post article, which you, know, you guys have given your thoughts on it. I agree completely. I thought, you know, Bob Kravitz's take in particular was just awful. I mean, he got... Frankly, it was irresponsible for it, it somebody was. who purports to be a journalist. I mean, you can't, like, you can't... He clearly didn't read the story or understand the NCAA rules to make that comment. No, and and the other thing is, you know, the thing that happens that we've learned now with Marvin Bagley and 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 maybe with this, although we don't know, is a lot of times the shoe companies will pay for these AAU teams, and these AAU teams have a lot of expenses. Like it's expensive to fly around and stay in hotels for all of the guys on these teams. But I guess what happens is sometimes they pay extra, you know, and over and above the amount of the expenses, and then the coaches can keep that, which is typically the parent of the star player. And I saw that insinuated in the Washington Post article about the Langfords, but there's no proof of it whatsoever at yeah. all. So, be, I mean, well, so to, that in and of itself is irresponsible to just kind of make that assumption and cast dispersions without there being any real proof of it. You know, and then for someone like Kravitz to just in the middle of the article go, is it illegal? No. Is it you know wrong? No. But it sure is dirty. In fact, it's really dirty. And it's like, based on what? And he ends it by saying, instead of you know s- spelling out character, the pastor should have spelled out cash at the you know at, at the announcement ceremony, which was just, I mean, it was awful. It was cheap, lazy, and hypocritical uh, for anybody to have a take like that. So yeah, no, let me let me just explain something to people who don't understand how this works because you were sort of talking about the expenses and stuff like that. What these shoe companies do is they will sponsor an AAU team, and they will it's so the kids don't have to pay to play. And they don't have to pay to travel and things like that. Now, can they develop a relationship with a player through that? Um, they can to say like, oh, yeah, I'm an Adidas guy because my AAU team was an Adidas thing. And then I feel more comfortable in Adidas school or whatever. That's what they're hoping for. Now, in some cases, they've just handed cash to players. We found out about that uh, before last season. But what happens a lot of times is, yeah, they give them a budget to spend from and it's for travel it's for hotels as jared said expenses tournament sign up fees things like that and then if there's money left over they can have a salary for the coaches they can you know have maybe like a team trip somewhere whatever usually these are not lexus hopefully not uh but there's uh you know there's expenses and then they can do like, yeah, like a team trip somewhere or something like that. These are usually nonprofit businesses. And so at the end of the year, they have to zero out pretty much. And so whatever's left over is usually like a bonus for the coach and other stuff like that. Now, of course, if you're giving $500,000 to an AAU team, you're probably expecting something in return. But as long as that's not spelled out and as long as there's not a known quid pro quo there, there's no... I mean, even if there is, it's nothing dirty about it. A kid can decide to go to an Adidas school because he likes the shoes if he wants. There's nothing there. If you're paying direct money to parents or to players, that's a different story. But if you're just funding an AAU team, there's nothing illegal about that. Should there be? I don't know. That's not my area to to 
you know, decide that, but it is completely legal within the rules and it doesn't look like and nothing in that article you know showed that the Lankfords are doing anything illegal or wrong and certainly there's nothing to show that Indiana or Archie Miller have done no Indiana is not even attached to it yeah Indiana's only association was that it's an Adidas school and he had an Adidas deal with his AAU team so and then Romeo's three finalists were Adidas schools so Indiana's just as if if India if you're going to say Indiana's dirty they're just as dirty as Kansas or Vanderbilt because it was the exact same thing they they were all Adidas schools so yeah and um, and if you're if you're going to be recruiting at the highest levels you're probably going to be recruiting players who are the signature guy on their AAU team you know who might have a family member running an AAU program but also let's remember Al Durham's father you know ran his AAU program so Anyway, uh, Andy, do you have anything else on this? I just wanted to take a few minutes and just make sure that we were clear that this, you know, this really is a non-story in a lot of ways. The story really is how irresponsibly it's been reported, I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, to to assume that that there's no ulterior motive to what, you know, Adidas folks are doing in scenarios like this, I mean, is is naive, and I don't think anybody's yeah. saying otherwise. Yeah. But the real that's the reality of the situation that's in. If if you cannot make you know you you're making it illegal for to get these guys to get paid to get whatever then somebody is going to find a way to circumvent the that system and it has been you know it doesn't make it right you don't have to like it but that's the way that the system works has worked for a number of prominent guys and again to your point there's nothing illegal about it there's nothing that IU is doing with it but uh, again i mean any big time player who has played for a, a one on one of the major shoe circuits like it it's not the correlation between the kind of school that they go to and the kind of shoes that they wear and who sponsors their program is pretty darn high so you know i'm not going to sit here and say you know that they, they just wanted to help fund that program out of the goodness of their hearts certainly as ryan said they're hoping down the road that some association and whatever is formed yeah. um but yeah, to, to suggest that IU somehow was involved or or whatever seems kind of silly to me. And and again, I think it just it just underscores the point that the NCAA is going to continue to miss the mark if they don't recognize the fact that these guys are worth that kind of money to be able to try to secure them. If you're doing anything that addresses issues other than that, you're not really addressing the issue at all. Ryan, did you want to add something real quick? Yeah, I, I mentioned that Vanderbilt was an Adidas school. They're a Nike school. I just wanted to clear that up because the I misspoke there. They are a Nike school. Yeah, uh, and 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 oh, and, so what you're saying is if you misstate something and it's pointed out, you should clear the record like as oh, quickly yes. as possible. Oh God, we're gonna get Jared off no. on it. <laughs> I know no, the only uh, thing the only thing that Kravitz could have done different was to invoke the Abraham Lincoln comment, and Jared's head would have my just, head would have exploded. I was I was primed to get upset about that, but he didn't include that. So. Hey, you know we have a website on which you could write about that if you wanted, Jared. Pretty you sure know, I that did. might. Pretty, pretty might, sure I did already. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Are we ready to break here? Let's do this. Yeah. Uh, okay. So coming up, we are going to begin our off-season player-by-player breakdown. We start with Devonte Green, whose maturation will be critical for Indiana to reach its ceiling this upcoming season. And is there reason to gulp? believe a breakthrough is coming maybe there is stick with us we'll talk about it
You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. Quick note, if you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of Assembly Call Radio, there are two great ways to catch up. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Assembly Call. Or if you are a truly dedicated Hoosier and Assembly Call fan, you can watch our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and participate in the live chat on YouTube. You'll get all of the between-segment banter that doesn't make it into the radio or podcast edit, so that's a nice little bonus. Subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash assemblycall. All right, gentlemen, we are going to talk about Devontae Green and... I guess the reason why I wanted to kick things off with him for our off-season player-by-player series is something kind of funny happened on this week's episode of Podcast on the Brink with Alex Bozich, where you know someone asked us who we expected to be the breakout player from this year's team. And the obvious answer is Justin Smith. I think everybody expects a huge breakout from him. We will obviously have yep. an episode dedicated to him. So that was my answer, but I didn't want to just you know give the same answer Alex gave. So I said, you know... It, you know, it's kind of one of those things that, you know, you don't necessarily want to say like in public in front of other people. And yet when you're a podcast host, kind of have to do that. So like said, how much you loved Verdell yeah. Jones. <laughs> so I, I, I kind of let it slip that I've been having some optimistic thoughts about Devontae Green for a few reasons. And I kind of went into some of those reasons and I got done and I expected Alex to just smack me down and be like, dude, you remember how inconsistent he's been. You realize that you're talking about all this stuff and him breaking out and, you know, uh, uh, succeeding with the, you know, the additional pressure now of having Robert Finnessy behind him. Like you realize that that goes in the face with the two years of evidence that we have where he can play pretty well, but then be inconsistent. And we just don't know what to expect from him. That's what I expected Alex to say. But instead, Alex was like, you know what? I kind of agree with you. He's like, you know, He's been around this summer. He really seems committed. You know, the, you know, all you know, people were kind of talking that maybe he'd be a transfer guy, but none of that has come up at all. And so we kind of had this moment where it's like we both were kind of having some faith in Devontae Green. So I wanted to bring this to you guys and see what you guys think. And look, I've got some numbers here. We're going to go over what he did well, what he did poorly in the next segment. And yeah. You can see here on the sheet, I've got all these numbers, you know, talking about, you know, his inconsistencies and then some factors that I think play into him possibly having a breakout. But before I even get into that, just that general thought, like your general confidence level in thinking Devontae now is an upperclassman, a guy that we can count on. Is that notion even something that you're willing to entertain? Ryan, why don't you go first? I think there's a possibility of that of a breakout and I would I would lean more towards a breakout than a complete dud of a season uh, one thing that I think was super positive about him was that he stepped up in a lot of bigger games yep. which or, or games where the team needed to win not necessarily against the biggest opponents but games where the team needed to win and he got playing time he stepped up and that's encouraging to me and it's a guy who answers the that means the guy answers the bell when he, he is consistently, his numbers are consistently better against Indiana's tier A and B opponents. So his numbers are actually dragged down by the worst opponents on Indiana's schedule. Which suggests to me a, a little bit of a lack of focus, but that's immaturity. And that's the kind of thing that you can get rid of. Uh, I think there were times last year where I felt like Devontae was, other than Juwan Morgan, the most complete player on the team as far as doing it on both ends. 
And then at times I felt like he was the biggest disappointment. I got Troy Williams flashbacks, basically. And, and, and he's got so much ability that you just feel like at some point that has to rise to the surface at some point that has to rise to the surface and, and win out. And, and so I have faith that he will turn things around and will be better. And I, I, maybe the, the reason why I feel better about it is because Indiana doesn't need him to, and maybe that's, what's going to cause him because Indiana has more talent at the guard spots. Maybe that's why I feel like it's going to cause him to, maybe have some pressure lifted and maybe relax and maybe focus or maybe feel like he could lose his job and therefore he's got to step up. Yeah. Well, or just the thought that maybe the upgraded offensive and just general basketball talent around him will turn some of his misfire passes from last year into buckets, you know, because when you've got better basketball players on the receiving end of some of those passes that he tries to make, got a, a greater likelihood of them possibly being completed. So that could help him too. Uh, and, and, and that's, you know, that's the other number that, uh, that I thought was impressive from last year. When you look at it, his assist rate nearly doubled as a sophomore and his turnover rate decreased by 6%. So he made a lot of growth in those two areas from where he was as a freshman. Now, all of his shooting numbers fell, but those two numbers, which are so important for his success, both improved by a lot. And it'll obviously be interesting to see if he can do that then as a junior. Andy, what are your general thoughts on the notion of a Devonte breakout as a junior? I think the thing that makes me most optimistic about it is, and, and you alluded to it a little bit, was the assist rate was really good. And I think where he got himself into trouble last season was some of the shots that he would take and and kind of trying to figure out how much offense he really needed to create on his own. Um, so on a team that didn't really have a guy who could create his own shot, in large part, we would talk about that a lot with he was a guy that needed to play because he was one of the only guys that could do that. If you spin forward to this year, is that really the case anymore? And can he really just focus on being a distributor and scoring occasionally, but not trying to feel like he had to get himself going on a team that was offensively challenged and didn't have a lot of guys that can consistently make outside shots? So did he put additional pressure on himself to, you know, try to try to do that at times? I think it's fair to to question some of the shots that he took at times that were, you know, kind of getting caught up either in a one-on-one matchup with somebody or feeling like I've got to make this shot. Somebody needs to do something. Um, I think I would expect we would see less of that next year. Um, he was trying to be a I, combo guard and not a point guard, and I think yeah. that was a big part of the problem. Yeah, so if he can truly just be a point guard this year and really accentuate the fact that he was able to get those turnover numbers down and was able to you know, improve his assist numbers, I think that is the, to me, that's as big a reason for optimism as anything. Um, the, the skeptical part of me says, you know, it's great to to think about that and to want that, but I haven't seen it. Um, I haven't seen it consistently enough. So how do we know that that's going to be the case? And that's, you know, kind of where the probably you expected Alex to throw some of the cold water on uh, on your thoughts that, that if there's any reason to do it for me, that's it for sure of look, you know, we've seen it for two years. It, it, is he able to flip that switch? Because we haven't seen that level of consistency and we didn't see it last year. Um, and so that that for me is the biggest reason to be pessimistic if you want to look at it the other way you're listening to the assembly call i'm jared morris here with andy bottoms and ryan phillips doing our pre or our off-season player-by-player breakdown we're talking about Devonte green and the notion of him possibly breaking out as a junior and you know andy that's a good point and and that's the thing with Devonte. it's like for every good there's a bad and when you start looking at the numbers it's kind of the same thing you know you start looking through his game log from last year and, you know, on the one hand, you know, finally 
in late January and February, you saw some consistent play. So it's not like we just saw a flash in one game and then nothing for a couple games. Like we actually saw him put together a sequence of pretty good play for, you know, about a month. You know, like that was pretty strong and and relatively consistent. It wasn't all perfect, but it was much better. And so, you know, you see it. And that's the thing. Now, maybe he's a little bit older. Maybe he's more comfortable in the system. Maybe with better players around him, that's something that he can do more of and he can extend those segments of good play. But at the same time, you look back through there and from January 2nd through the end of the season, he had more games in which he scored two or zero points than games in which he scored in double figures. He had five games of two or zero points and then three games in double figures. So there's the inconsistency. You know, we talk about the improvement in the assistant turnover rate, but his overall offensive rating actually fell from 100.6 in 2017 to 91.7 in 2018, which isn't good. So that's the thing, is everywhere you turn, when you look at Devontae and what he's done already as a Hoosier, there's some good, but then you're immediately met with some bad. And so now it's just, can he smooth out some of those rough edges, become more consistent, And, you know, Ryan, he would not be the first player who, you know, especially for a guy who came in as a three-star recruit, you know, not a blue-chip guy, to take a few years to get comfortable, build up his strength, build up his confidence, build up, you know, just continuity in the system, and then to really emerge as an upperclassman. I mean, we see that happen a lot in college basketball. And so, you know, you add those things up, and I'm starting to lean more towards the side of having some legitimate confidence in it happening. It's, you know, 55-45. I mean, it's we've seen enough of the struggles to, you know, you don't want to jump in with two feet. But I'm starting to feel legitimately confident, legitimately better about what Indiana can get from him next year than maybe where I was at the end of the year. No, I'd agree with you. I think that there is some, you know, there, there's reason for hope. And I think that at this point of the year, that's what you're looking for. And Again, a lot of it's on Devonte. He's going to have to spend this summer working his butt off, getting better, uh, really dedicating himself to the weight room and to you know getting better at the offense. You know, understanding the offense better and 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 deciding what his role is going to be too. With sitting down with Archie Miller and deciding what his role is going to be, is he going to be more of a combo guard? Is going to try and gun for shots, or is he a guy who is going to distribute for others? And then when he's when they find him open in a corner or on the wing, hits a shot. So I think that it's a lot of that. They have to define his role and, and figure out what he wants to be and what Archie needs him to be and, and, and go from there. But there were games this year that he was the driving force behind the team winning. And that is encouraging. Now it's about bottling those up, watching the film on the bad games, figuring out what he was doing wrong and maybe just reining in his game a little bit because when he simplified things, man, he was really good. It was when he tried to do too much and when he tried to be the offense by himself that it was the problem, I thought. You know, and, and Andy, one question that we get a lot is, you know, just something that I've seen, you know, on Twitter and the message boards is, you know, kind of this assumption that Robert Finnessy will take over as point guard at some point during the season and that we'll be better off if that happens. Look, if Robert Finnessy comes in and he's just so good that, you know, he's going to start and be a legitimate Big Ten player right from day one, like, that's great. You can never have enough, you know, great players. And if we can find someone to solidify that spot from his freshman year, that's awesome. But I continue to think that this Indiana team at its best next year is with a more mature, consistent Devontae as a starter, you know, as the guy playing the majority of the minutes and you allow Robert Finnessy to kind of ease into it, you know, and, and not have that much pressure right away. So I'm not buying into the notion 
that he's automatically going to be the starter come Big Ten play or that that's even in Indiana's best interest if you're looking at what makes next year's team you know, achieve closest to its ceiling. Yeah, I think what people like there, and it, and it goes back to what we talked about before, where you know Devonte has been more of a combo guard, really at at every at every step of the way since he's been at IU, and I think people look at Robert Finnessy and say this is a true point guard, and so to a certain extent that becomes more alluring to people, and and in some ways it's I've got this inconsistent guy, and and the allure of the of the unknown compared to that it's like the backup quarterback scenario right where every you know favorite guy in town when the when somebody else is struggling it's easy to get roped into that but you've also got to think about look there are a lot of point guards that come in as as freshmen in in college no matter how good they were you know really the elite of the elite are those who can really step in early and and play and be able to do the things that they want to do and run a team and understand what that means so i i tend to fall in your camp that um I think this team is best served if Devontae is playing well enough to, you know, hold him off in the short term and let him get brought along slowly. Um, and and that probably is a, if that happens, that's probably a, a normal course of development for Finnessy, and I think a good sign for how Devontae is playing. I think if if it gets to a point where you're really pushing, you know, Rob Finnessy in uh, early on, it's probably a sign that things haven't gone uh, according to plan. Would be my guess, and at least that's kind of the way that I view it at this point. I mean. You know, he's a solid recruit. Everybody's excited about him, but um, there have been elite level five star, some four star guys who have come in early and been given the keys and, and really struggled to um, to be able to handle that. Somewhere, like starting... so, so somewhere Al Durham is listening to this being like, what the hell, guys? No, it's it's like well, we know Al listens. I'm sure. Yeah, they all well, to be fair, Al was not proposing the questions to me. So. No, it, <laughs> no it's, that's the fault of the host. No, look, I, I think it's starting at point guard as a freshman in a major conference call on a major conference college basketball team is like starting at quarterback in football as a freshman. You know, it's 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 hard. There's a lot going on. It's not it's not a one to one comparison, but it's you're running the team. You're in charge. And sure, you're not getting hit. Um, but at the same time, it's it is it's a difficult position to be in because you've got so many considerations going on with how to run the team what you're doing. Are you running the offense, finding everybody, distributing, keeping everybody involved? And then on top of that, worrying about your own game, worrying about your own shot, worrying about things that you need to do to, to get better for yourself while also making the team better. It's a tough situation. I don't see Rob Finnessy coming in starting next year because of that. And I think it's, that's good for the team if he does have to wait. Yep. All right. Uh, let's keep this conversation going. Uh, coming up, we are going to continue our analysis of Devontae. We're actually going to dig into some stats, uh, found some numbers at Synergy, find, Synergy, finding out what he did best, what he did worst, and then talking about what he needs to improve on next season. Stick with us on the Assembly Call. Look, staying healthy isn't easy. Watching your diet, hitting the gym, avoiding stress. But a good night's rest helps boost your overall health and wellness. And it couldn't be easier. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed is the only bed that effortlessly adjusts and responds to both of you. The result? You wake up ready for anything. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, the new Queen Sleep Number 360 P5 Smart Bed is only $17.99. Save $600. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. 
So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. You are listening to The Assembly Call. Go to assemblycall.com right now to learn how to subscribe to our email newsletter, or you can simply text IU to 66866. If you want to get more out of being an IU basketball fan, then you need to be on our newsletter list. You will get our weekly Six Banner Sunday news roundups, as well as our post-game analysis emails once the season begins. It is all free, and it will make you a smarter IU basketball fan. Go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866. I am Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. And this week, we are beginning our off-season player-by-player analysis, where you know each episode, we take one player, go in-depth. This week, we're talking about Devontae Green. And we spent our last segment you know, kind of talking generally about our confidence level in him and in this possibility for him having a breakout as a junior. Guys, for this segment, I wanted to put you know some numbers to what we saw last year and just kind of see if that you know, confirms what we saw, or maybe it's a little different than what you would expect. Um, and so, you know, went into synergy and, and tried to find out what Devonte did really well on both offense and defense and what he really struggled with. Um, and so, you know, when you look at him offensively, overall offensively, it, you know, in terms of possessions that ended with him having the ball, it was not a positive. It, it was 0.7 point, 0.752 points per possession, which was in the 22nd percentile nationally. So not good. Now, when you include possessions that he assisted on, um, the efficiency rank rises to 43%. So a big part of his value last year was obviously in his assist rate. And that's clearly something that matches the eye test when you watch him play. Uh, I thought it was interesting that his free throw percentage stayed the same. It was, I think, 70.6% as a freshman, 70.5% last year, which I think, Ryan, maybe you can speak to this a little bit, but you know, I think a big concern for him last year was those shooting numbers falling. But the fact that his free throw shooting stayed the same would kind of suggest that there isn't necessarily an underlying issue with his stroke. It's maybe more of a shot selection type thing, you know, maybe getting better shots in the offense, not forcing shots. Um, do you kind of get that? Get did you get that sense watching him? Because he's a guy who shot pretty well as a freshman, but obviously fell off last year. Yeah, I think that he was taking more shots, and I also think he was relied on to take shots, and that leads to sometimes forcing things. And I, I thought he did force things at times last year. I thought when he settled in, and we've talked about this with him many times, and I mentioned in the last segment, when he just kind of relaxes and doesn't try and force things, he's actually a pretty good player. And and but the problem is reining that in, and uh, it's not that's not his best quality is, is control. And so I would say that I think that it's, it is definitely a, a shot selection thing and, and something that happens when you take more shots as you often, you get a green light and you start forcing things. And I, that was not his role the year before. And, and here's something that I thought was interesting with the numbers, because this is a guy that we are talking about Andy as someone who should have the ball in his hands a lot and initiating offense. Well, if you look at where he succeeded last year, he was actually better in spot-up situations, so where he was actually receiving a pass. Um, he was in the 74th percentile in terms of efficiency when he you know, received a pass and either shot it or basically took one dribble and shot it, and he was much better shooting off of the dribble than he was with no dribble. But from a concerning standpoint, as a ball handler in the pick and roll, his efficiency was twenty in the 21st percentile. Not good. Uh, 59 points in 100 possessions. And in transition, uh, you know, when he was uh, when he was the ball handler in transition, fifty three points and sixty seven possessions, which was in the fourteenth percentile. 
So if he is going to have this breakout that we're talking about and be a guy who is, you know, the 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 primary ball handler, the point guard on a team with a lot of offensive options, he is going to have to get better in those situations when he's got the ball in his hands. Now, you would assume that he would get better with better talent around him, more time in the system, but those numbers do throw a little bit of cold water on some of the things that we talked about in that last segment about feeling more confident in him being ready to break out. Yeah, I think for me, a lot of that is is trying to make the spectacular play versus otherwise. I, I think a lot of the transition was just as you think back to to plays where he just tried to make a what would have been an amazing pass if it's it it gets to the guy he wants to get it to and and he you know is able to catch it and score. But I think more often than not, it was just you know keeping it simple. Same stuff that we talked about. It is is really just you know hit singles. You don't need to hit home runs every time. Uh, and really just try to, uh, you know, again, like, like Ryan said, he, he's a guy you you need to rein in, but you have to find that right balance of, you know, you, you can't totally put handcuffs on him and say, hey, you can't go and do these things. Because we saw uh, plays that he was able to make in pick and roll situations. You know, we talked about that, you know, the pass to Freddie McSwain at the end of the Iowa game um, was a great pass. But I think too often um, just trying to be spectacular and in some ways, I, I, you know, last year's team almost needed spectacular things to happen offensively in order to really feel good about what was going on. Uh, and again, I kind of go back to some of the initial thoughts I had on him earlier. That shouldn't be the case this year. And so if he's able to recognize that and, and just slow down just enough uh, to, to handle those kinds of decisions and know where, what he wants to do with the ball and, and what the smart play is at any given moment. Uh, and I think those are the kinds of things that Archie can help him with being a former point guard. And I think those are the things that they probably clash over uh, a little bit the most as you look at, he was one of the guys that it felt like Archie was uh, not necessarily hardest on in in kind of post-game uh, comment scenarios, but he had a pretty short leash, I felt like, with him most of the time. There was one game he played, you know, just played four minutes. That was the Purdue game. Um, in the midst of a lot of really good games for him, too. And so I think, you know, I think there's a, a natural clashing there of the way those two guys um, play the game. And and so I think it'll be interesting to see their relationship develop. But a good thing that he didn't leave and and wants to come back and, and sees value in the kind of coaching that he's getting. But I could definitely see where um, you, you kind of look at it as the coach, you look at the guy and they're like, this guy isn't really that much like me. I need to get him to play a little bit more like me and, and kind of accentuate the good things that Devante does. And and the unique skills that he has while also trying to rein him in a little bit. And that's a huge challenge uh, for a coach. And I think that's one that, again, you kind of talk about point guards over time. If there really is that maturation process with him, I think this is the year that if you don't see it this year, you're not going to see it. We're not going to have this conversation again next year. Um, if, if he puts up numbers similar to what he did last year, because I don't think the the conversation will, will make any sense at that point. At that point, the, we haven't seen it argument is, you know, throw that down and walk out of the room. Yeah, I look. I think that that Andy touches on something there, and it's that that Archie Miller is super. He expects a lot of Devonte because the talent's there, and you can tell he's frustrated. And it feels like you know, uh, it feels like that Devonte is sort of like the white whale, and and <laughs> Archie's Ahab right now, and. Uh, that's just going to be their relationship and it's going to be that's he's going to be the guy that probably is the most frustrating but it's also the most rewarding when a guy like that succeeds and so that's where you make your money as a coach is making those guys succeed and 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 pushing them to the next level one thing about Devonte i wanted to add 
is those numbers on pick and rolls uh, that in the 21st percentile and in transition, the 14th percentile. What I would say about that is that says to me that his decision making is not great. And, and and if you're not making good decisions on the pick and roll, you're not making good decisions in transition, you're not doing well as a point guard. I mean, those are two of the most important things you can do, especially in modern basketball. Quick points are so big and pick and roll. I mean, it's just, it's something that is the simplest play you can run, but it's also one of the most effective if you do it right. Part of the pick and roll issue is that IU didn't have great post option, pure post options. So I would say, and, and everybody would overplay on Jawan Morgan because they knew that he was going to be the outlet for it. So that makes it tough, but at the same time, as that ball handler, you have to make the right decisions and get those easy buckets, uh, which is you know something he didn't do last year, clearly by the numbers. You're listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips talking about Devontae Green as we begin our offseason player-by-player breakdown. You know, we've spent a lot of time talking about Devontae, and Almost the entire conversation, in fact, pretty much the entire conversation, has been shaded toward offense. That's all we have talked about. And obviously, the offense is going to be important, but this is a coach with a defensive mindset. And this is this still feels like a team and a program where your ability to defend is what's going to determine whether you get on the court more than anything. And so we need to spend a little bit of time talking about Devontae's defense because it was, when you look at the numbers on Synergy, it was better than what I expected. And it's not that I expected them to be bad because Devontae had his moments as a defender, but he was, in a lot of ways, as inconsistent on defense as he was on offense. And he would bring it some games and be absolutely outstanding. And other games, the focus wouldn't be there. But overall, the numbers are certainly better. Um, you know, we know the steal rate is good. He had a steal rate of 2.7% uh, last year, which for context was 12th in the Big Ten. That's solid. And that's consistent with what he did as a freshman. So he's a guy who makes plays. He creates turnovers and creates offense going the other way. Obviously, he needs to get better with the decision making and transition when he gets those steals. But he is making those plays. And in terms of his strengths as a defender, Ryan, you know, we mentioned his struggles on offense in the pick and roll. But he's been very good guarding pick-and-roll ball handlers. Gave up only 50 points in 75 possessions. That's the 71st percentile. And then in isolation situations, a little bit smaller of a sample size, 30 possessions, but he was in the 86th percentile, only allowing 16 points. So in those situations, he was good. Now, he struggled a little bit defending spot-up situations and off screens, and I think that gets to maybe a little bit of the, the lack of focus, You know, losing his man, losing kind of recognition of his space on the floor where the screens are coming from. Communication when, with teammates, too. That, too. That, too. And, and a lot of that will come with the new defensive system. But he's a guy, when you see him engaged on the ball and really you know, playing with that mentality that he needs defensively, I thought a lot of times that you could tell how he was going to play more by how he was engaged defensively by what you than what you saw offensively. And I thought one would lead into the other. And so if we're looking for what he can build on or what we should really base any thoughts of a breakout on, I almost feel like we need to start with the defense. We've kind of started all with the offense, but I think if he's going to truly be a consistent player on this team playing a lot of minutes. He's going to have to continue the defense that he played last year and build on it because it was already decent to good. And if he can get to, you know, becoming a really good or even great defender as an upperclassman, that will be a huge example to set for the young guys. And it obviously does wonders as we saw with Yogi as a senior, you know, when your lead guard is out there applying that kind of pressure, it really helps out everybody else. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the, the, 
defensive end is where we all loved Devontae as a recruit. I mean, that was the thing he said. He wanted to be the best defender in the nation, you know? And when you have a guy with that kind of mentality and and who has, I think, put into practice a lot. I mean, Archie praised him early in the season, uh, before the season started, actually, for his practice intensity defensively. And now that he's going to have to guard a guy like Rob Finnessy, maybe switch off in practice to some Romeo Lankford, things like that. He's going to have to continue to step those things up and it's only going to make him better, but he's got to embrace that challenge to know that it's practice is work. It's it's that's where you get it done and that's where you get better. And he's got to understand that he's got to put that effort into practice. And apparently he has, well, everything we've heard has been that he's, he's good in practice. The problem is when he transitions to games, he kind of sort of go gets loose. You, you know, and doesn't play within the system as much. But if he embraces those challenges and really says, hey, you know what? I can do this. I can get into this. I can improve all that stuff. I think that that he has that opportunity to break out. And you're right. It starts at the defensive end first. Everything with IU under Archie Miller starts defense first. And so that's going to be a big deal next year. And I think the reason he got so much playing time was because of his defense this last year. So uh, we'll see how it does, how it, how it goes. Let's also learn our lesson for these future player by player breakdowns and start on defense and not save it till the very end. We that's, got a, that's we got a new program for, now. That's less fun <laughs> for the fans out there. Come on now, everybody wants offense. Uh, Andy, you want the last word on Devonte? Uh, I mean, just defensively, the other thing when you look at some of the off ball and and spot up situations, I think some of that goes back to you know the pack line and closeouts. That was something that the team struggled with a lot. He's a guy who doesn't have a ton of size. Um, so as you think about what he needs to do from a, you know, spacing and, and technique standpoint, how does, how does that factor into it? But I think the focus that, that you mentioned is part of it. Um, but, but certainly when, you know, his man has the ball, both the, both the scenarios where he was most effective on, uh, on offense are really applying that ball pressure, which is, you know, one of the other things that you're trying to do in the pack line. So I think, you know, at the point of attack, uh, he can be really good. It's just a matter of maintaining that. Uh, as he goes into other facets of the game and not getting, you know, kind of sucked in. And I think with most point guards, it's, it's, you know, you, you're as a point guard, you can look really good if you have a really good supporting cast. And and we'll, to go back to some of the offensive stuff, you talk about pick and roll. Some of it's decision making. Some of it is the defense respecting the other guys that they have. I mean, the point of that is to basically say that you're making a pick between two guys. Well, defenses against IU last year were like, well, I'm going to sag in and I'm going to cut him off and I'm going to dare him to either thread the needle and make a pass for the, you know, the screen or roll into the basket or kick it out to a guy who I'm, I don't believe is going to make a shot. Um, and so I think when you, again, you look at personnel, how much of that can make him look a little bit better um, and maybe make those, you know, singles and easier decisions actually pay off for him in a way they might not have a year ago. So I think supporting cast is going to play a, a big role and certainly him playing under control is going to be, uh, a big factor, but I, I think he'll be aided by the guys around him in a way this coming year that maybe he wasn't uh, a year ago. And that's a great example of how numbers without context are meaningless. So we like to bring you the numbers, but more importantly, we like to put them in context. And Andy, you did a wonderful job of doing that there. All righty, coming up, it is our final segment. We will answer your questions. We got this really fun questioner from Florida Hoosier. On this upcoming year's team, what practice matchup do you think Coach Miller will enjoy watching the most? Noodle on that. We'll talk about it when we come back.
You're listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Brian Phillips wrapping up another week of Talking IU Basketball. It is time to answer your questions. we got a great one from Florida Hoosier on Twitter. So let's hop into that one right now. On this upcoming year's team, what practice matchup do you think Coach Miller will enjoy watching the most? I will say that the obvious one that jumps out to me because Archie Miller is a point guard, and so I have to think that he, just because he can probably relate best with point guards, I have to think he is just absolutely licking his chops to watch Devontae Green go at Romeo Langford or go at uh, Robert Finnessy um, and, you know, mix Al Durham in there too. But to watch those guys, uh, you know, and kind of see some of this young point guard talent and see how it develops, um, I think. I think he would enjoy watching that just because he likes watching point guards. Obviously, if the guys don't develop like he wants, it's probably one of those things where he enjoys it, but it also probably angers him and frustrates him more than any other because he has the highest level of expectation for it. Um, So maybe it would be easier to say he will enjoy anything that Romeo Langford does on the court the most. Um, But I'll stick with point guards. Andy, what do you think would be the one that he would enjoy the Uh most? Oh, boy, I don't know. I maybe uh, maybe McRoberts on Romeo Langford, the you know the the defensive stopper from a year ago. I think Archie would probably relish seeing if he could uh, he get under his skin a little bit. I don't know. I, the point guard one is one that I thought of, but I thought the the McRoberts and uh, Romeo was was I, under under or, the or, or just 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 to recognize how far he's come in one year from Zach McRoberts being the second most important player on the team to now having Romeo Langford on the roster. I. Yeah, I no. My answer was going to be one of two, and it was Zach McRoberts on Romeo Lamphere to see if a savvy defender like Zach McRoberts, who, by the way, a lot of people were talking about as a potential All Big Ten defender last year for a stretch of the season. It kind of that chatter kind of fell off late, but that was. was that was a big deal. I Archie was too, and and mm-hmm. uh, but the other one I I want to see, and this you wouldn't think of this positionally, I don't think, but I think they will face off in practice because of their size is Romeo Lankford and Justin Smith. Mm-hmm. that's where Archie's going to be like, oh, I'm at Indiana now. I can get these kinds of athletes <laughs> and players. Like, you know, I think that's that's the big one for me. And Or, or even Justin Smith and Jerome Hunter. You know, I mean, those guys, you just to, to look at the difference between some of those Dayton teams and last year's team and what he's going to have on the floor in practice this year is just going to be unbelievable. Yeah, I think Justin Smith, Jerome Hunter will definitely be a fun one. And I also think, you know, I think if you can get Deron Davis back healthy and then you've got him down low banging with Race Thompson and Jake Forrester and get, you know, Clifton Moore involved in there, that's one that he will enjoy too, just because of the options that that would present, having that kind of depth down low. So, I mean, look, we've pretty much named every player, and that's the nice part about this increased roster is there's there's stuff for the coach to enjoy no matter what. It's going to be fun, everybody. <laughs> I'm, ready, I'm ready for games. I am ready for games. And I know. How many mid-May. months we got? <laughs> we should put a there's, countdown clock on the site. There's a lot. We do need a countdown clock. Uh, still, luckily, still we're gonna, luckily to we'll have a fall trip to Bloomington to sort of break it up. That's right. Ooh, you're, you're teasing that. I'm okay. teasing. Well, well, that's, we'll, I'm, have, we'll have I'm more just, details to come on that. I'm willing it to happen. I like it. I like it. All right. Uh, That'll do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, go to assemblycall.com slash join to join our free email newsletter or text IU to 66866. Thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. 
And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the assembly call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating. And so many of you have donated and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Let me be straight with you. This is a radio commercial for three small business insurance. With three, your entire business is covered. So while you can't see the following scene, just know that this contractor's business is protected by three. Hey, toss me that drill. Yeah, man. Heads up. Oh, that looks expensive. Now this is an insurance moment, but Three's got it covered. Three is a product of Berkshire Hathaway Direct Insurance Company. Three, no nonsense, just common sense. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home, yes, cool, or attending one live, you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H 2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.